This is the Third Act Podcast, shining a spotlight on individuals, charities, and small business owners suffering from illness, economic shutdown, or lack of support and funding. Meaningful conversations that generate compassion and financial support from listeners compelled to join us on this journey to improve the lives of others. I'm gonna dance with the stranger, I'm gonna enjoy your show. I'm gonna learn to forget and really let it go. And most of all, I wanna shine a light on good and look to give back. And that's what I'll do with my third, third act. And now your host, Roger Steed. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us again for a new and informative third act podcast. I am sure most of us have had enough Zoom calls over the last year to satisfy us for a while. However, more times than not, my experience has been a good one as it has provided an opportunity for me to get to know a new organization or hear someone speak that really is getting things done to help others. I was fortunate to hear my podcast guest on a Zoom call hosted by the Faith Communities Coalition of Michigan who was kind enough to invite me to participate and learn about all the wonderful things happening at Vista Maria in Dearborn Heights, Michigan. Jessica Marcetti is my guest today. And let me say up front that Vista Maria could not have a better spokesperson to help spread the word about this great organization that I am ashamed to say I didn't know anything about before listening to the Zoom call with FCC. I hope our conversation today will be informative and helpful to others that want to learn about Vista Maria and all the great programs they are doing to help young women. Jessica is the manager of volunteer resources. She oversees nearly 2000 volunteers and manages the organization's in-kind giving and represents Vista Maria as a member of the Michigan Human Trafficking Task Force. Jessica holds a BS in Anthropology and Museum Studies from Central Michigan University and a Master's in Museum Education from the University of Florida. She is also a Certified Volunteer Administrator and the Emeritus Board Member and Founding Member of the Michigan Alliance for Cultural Accessibility. She has published and spoken nationally about museum community partnerships and creating multi-generational volunteer programs. Most importantly, Jessica is passionate about connecting enthusiastic volunteers with service opportunities in their communities. So after more than a decade in the museum field, she came to Vista Maria to do just that. Jessica joked with me earlier this week that she's always prepared for a pop-up presentation and is always eager eager to tell the Vista Maria story. So please let me say welcome, Jessica. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. And I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Roger. I'm so happy to be here. Let's uh, start the podcast, if you don't mind getting to know a little bit about Jessica. How did you get involved with Vista Maria? And what has been your experience from the time you joined the organization, please? 
Sure. I came to Vista Maria through a professional network, which is our Southeast Michigan Volunteer Coordinators Network. And when I saw the job posting there, I said, that looks like an organization that really engages volunteers in really meaningful ways. <laughs> and I said, I want to get involved with what they're doing. That's what drew me to the organization in the first place. And so I've been at Vista Maria just about two and a half years. And a year and a half of that has been pandemic, which has been really strange. A major pivot there, learning how to serve our kids and offer care and work with our volunteers to keep them engaged in, in a, a much different world. Absolutely. I but I'm very proud of the work we've been able to continue doing in that time, both connecting our kids with our community and vice versa. Absolutely. Just thinking about overseeing 2,000 volunteers, that's a gigantic task in itself. What are some of the major responsibilities you feel you have with that role, please? Yeah, so that is a pre-COVID number. We'll, we'll build back up to that eventually. But... Uh, our volunteer, our volunteers break down into a few categories. And one of our biggest areas within that is our one-on-one -on -one mentors. And in that program, that's one of our largest or our largest volunteer programs. And those volunteers are matched up with one of our residents and they meet with our residents individually to coach them through their time here at Vista Maria and offer a, a supportive adult relationship from someone who is not a person in a position of authority. Right. Just like a family member would be. Right, right, right. How so many, that's a big portion of yeah, our, how, our volunteer program. How many of those volunteers do you have, I guess, on campus now or helping you? Right now, it's at four. But to give you an idea, pre-COVID, we were at 50. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, again, so, something we're going to be building back up. And I guess this is stay on this for just a second. How would you, anyone that's interested or knows people that would be interested in volunteering or seeking a connection with you, how would they go about that? Just reach out to me directly, either by phone or email. Usually email is preferable because that goes with me everywhere and I'm not always at my desk, but that's the easiest way. Just connect with me directly because sometimes it's a little bit of a conversation to find the best fit, whether it's that one-on-one -on -one mentoring, which can sometimes be a bit of a time commitment or an emotional commitment, and that's not for everyone. Right, Maybe right. you say, I just want to spend one weekend a month doing something. Great. We've got opportunities for that as well. So it's really important to have that conversation about how you can best serve, get involved with our kids, and help us fulfill our mission at Vista Maria. So I would encourage them just to get in touch with me, and we can have a great chat about how they can do more with their time and talent. Great, great. We might circle back to that a little bit, but... I first also wanted to talk a little bit about the history of Vista Maria. It was so interesting yeah. for me to learn about it and the early beginnings going back over a century. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think our audience would really enjoy that. 
Yeah, Vista Maria has a very cool history. And as my bio told you there in the beginning with a background in museum studies, I'm always interested in the history of a place. Vista Maria was founded by the Sisters of the Good Shepherd and in 1883. And they originally were at a small orphanage in downtown Detroit on Fort Street. And when they outgrew that, they found this plot of land here in what is now Dearborn Heights. And it was actually Henry Ford's backyard. They were so taken with this plot of land, they prayed to Mary that they were hoping they would somehow be able to get this land that they could expand their their services for these young ladies. And that's when Clara Ford offered to sell it to them for $1. So because of this beautiful vista and they prayed to their mother Mary, that's how we got the name Vista Maria. One of the things I admire most about the Sisters of the Good Shepherd is their willingness and their tradition of pivoting to meet the needs of the community, whatever it is. The sort of flexibility of their mission to meet the community wherever they are and whatever their most urgent need is. So Vista Maria right now, we are residential treatment for girls and youth who have experienced abuse, neglect, and human trafficking. The kids on our campus are between 11 years old to 18. We also offer foster care services, adoption services. We have two schools on our campus. We offer aftercare services, wraparound and community services. So the whole continuum of care for all of the kids that we serve. And one of the things that the sisters noticed was that after kids were leaving Vista Maria, we actually had some youth coming back to the front gate of the of our campus saying, I'm 18 years old and have nowhere to go. I've aged out of the program. So that's when the sisters decided to open Shepherd Hall, which is our, our transitional housing. Essentially, it's our supervised independent living program. So there's 20 small apartments in there, dorm style apartment set up for youth who are between 18 and 24, so that even though they've aged out of the foster care system, they have a support in between foster care and whatever their next step is, where whether it's college, career, their first apartment, military service, whatever that next step is, they've got a little bit of support in between so that they can have a real shot at success. Right. And they stay roughly 12 to 18 months. Is that right? Depends on the program and what their individual needs are. One of our values is individual worth, which means we focus really deeply on what the needs are of that specific child. But yes, I would say roughly uh, nine to 18 months. So basically, you would release a young lady back into the system, so to speak, unless she's somewhat prepared for that or has a place to go or a a career path. Absolutely. That's correct. I saw on some of the information you sent me that Miss Maria serves over 1,200 children and families per year. I don't know how you do it, but, and you service 450 children in your current programs and you have something roughly short of 80 people, 80 young ladies living on campus, correct? Living on campus now. Is that right? That's correct. Wow. Wow. And how many employees take care of the young ladies on campus? As of today, I believe we have around 
250 to 300 employees on our campus. And that is 24 seven. We have three shifts. We are here all day, every day to make sure that their needs are met day and night. That is awesome. God bless you for what you're doing. It's really great stuff. I mentioned to you that I was taken by a story that's on the front page of your website about a, a young woman, or it's, I think, in, in the news section about a young woman that was in an impossible situation with an abusive boyfriend and felt isolated, alone, was getting beaten up, didn't have any place to go, no place to turn to. But somehow she found Vista Maria and she found the support and the care and the treatment she needed. Unfortunately, in my mind, this has to be a sad but repetitive situation. Is Can you just share some of the types of young ladies that come through your doors and how you begin the treatment of these fragile young ladies that need your help? Sure. So again, everyone's story is going to be a little bit different. Sure. But in some ways... They're all a little bit the same. There's this thread that runs through them, which is trauma. Each of our kids has experienced a trauma in some form or another, even if that trauma is just that they have been removed from their family and placed here at Vista Maria. And that's what we focus on the most. All of our staff go through extensive trauma-informed training. And that's one of the highlights of our our WINGS program, which is our our human trafficking program. We have two buildings dedicated specifically to this program on our campus. And our WINGS program is highly trauma-informed, as are all of our programs. Specifically, I'd like to talk about our, our Freedom Center, which is our human trafficking intake, emergency intake and stabilization center. It actually has a little sort of a mini clinic, which has three sort of hospital rooms, clinic rooms, so that when survivors of human trafficking are removed from a trafficking situation, they can be brought directly to Vista Maria and receive some medical treatment here, minor medical treatment. They can speak with law enforcement, they can receive counseling, and then they can stay right here. And that's all in an effort to reduce the likelihood that they will be re-traumatized by telling their story over and over again. So that's a piece of kind of the thought behind everything we do is an effort to care for kids that have experienced a trauma of some kind. This Let's talk just a bit about this human and sex trafficking subsegment of our community. Again, I have to say I was ashamed to not know the depth and the severity of the problem, but can you just talk about some of the numbers that you've shared with me through your slides that the number of young ladies in Southeast Michigan that are probably underreported, but still it's a real and serious issue. Yeah, so the numbers are, it's very difficult to track. So I'm hesitant to go deep into the numbers. However, it is, as you said, underreported, but it is a fast growing crime, both in Michigan and around the world. 
It is human trafficking has been reported in all 50 states. Michigan is not unique there. No, no. I've heard some stats that say, oh, Michigan is number one or number two or number three in the country. That's not something we really know, again, because it is so under understudied, underreported. Right. It's it truly is a crime that exists in the shadows. Wow. I know. I know. That's uh, hopefully one of the benefits we can share with our community today is uh, bringing a little light uh, to the subject. So hopefully we do that. You also through obviously helping these young ladies, bringing them into the treatment center or the campus, working with them. But you have to have some relationship with, say, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. How does that sort of work together to form a, I'll call it a coalition or a community that helps these young ladies? Yes. So many of our, I would say most of our referrals for our residents come through DHHS to us. And then we work closely with them through our foster care programs as well. So it's a very close partnership. Our CEO works very closely with Michigan Department of Health and Human Services so that we can have a really symbiotic relationship and make sure that we're offering, you know, the best possible continuum of care for all of all of our kids in the state of Michigan that, and making yep. sure that's really consistent. That's great. And you recently signed up or formed this partnership with the Michigan Abolitionist Project. Can you just spend a second on that, please? Yeah, that's really exciting for us. Vista Maria has been offering really high quality direct care for, as I said, since 1883. But we have not been heavily involved in advocacy and education. Whereas the Michigan Abolitionist Project or MAP that's been their specialty for quite some time. So this merger seems really natural. So we're very excited to have uh, MAP join Vista Maria so that not only can we be offering treatment and services and support to survivors of human trafficking, but we can also begin to give voice to survivors of trafficking, offer advocacy and education. They just had their Empower conference, which was phenomenal, which offered several sessions where we heard from directly from survivors of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. We heard from human trafficking attorneys, and we heard specifically about policy around human trafficking and the laws and policies surrounding it, which was very interesting. And that's not really something that Vista Maria has been heavily involved in up to this point. Mm-hmm. So it's really exciting that MAP can help expand us in this new direction where we can start to advocate for change right, right. in a way that we haven't been able to do or have not done previously. Good, right. And we talked in, in the beginning a little bit about the pandemic effect, but can we talk about that a little bit more? Because I'm sure it threw everything out of kilter from the standpoints of kids that are referred to you as well as maybe even the judicial system, maybe young women are still captive and couldn't uh, find the help they needed. In your words, what was the sort of environment for Vista Maria during this pandemic? And as you come, hopefully, as we come out of this in the fall, as school reopens, what are your plans for getting more engaged with schools and other I don't know, community organizations that can help with your uh, mission, so to speak. 
Yeah, you've touched on a couple of notes there. One is that during the pandemic, when so many schools transitioned to virtual learning, that meant that a lot of kids who were in dangerous or abusive situations at home were not in front of teachers and coaches and other mandated reporters which are people who are required to report any suspicions of child abuse to the police or social services. So as a result, we are seeing fewer children coming into Vista Maria because those cases of child abuse are not being reported because we're just not seeing them. doesn't necessarily mean they're not happening. In fact, probably the opposite. But As we move into the fall and we're getting more people vaccinated and probably going to see a move toward more schools going back in person, it is likely that I think we'll see more kids being referred to us again and hopefully be able to get some kids the help that they need to get out of some dangerous situations. That would really be ideal. As far as advocacy and education as kids return to schools as well. I'm going to return along with MAP to doing presentations in the schools and talking Mm -hmm. about human trafficking from that angle and what healthy relationships look and how can you identify human trafficking in, in your friends and how what does it look like when someone might be in a dangerous situation or in a relationship that doesn't look quite right but that's a great one to talk about with kids because i think when we talk about human traffic or when we think about talking about human trafficking with kids we think about it in a very scary way because we're jumping to the most extreme forms of that discussion when really it needs to start with what does a healthy relationship look like And so that's a discussion we often bring to the schools and we're excited to get that going again, for sure. Right. I I don't want to miss the opportunity because I know that there are some very good success stories that have come out of your programs. Can you just speak to whatever comes to your mind as far as young ladies that have found the um, programs to really be beneficial, the young mom that's on the video, that's on the website, that's really uh, informative and quite uh, striking to me. Can you spend a little time on that, please? Yeah, I definitely encourage folks, as you said, we have a few videos on our website from some of our alumni who speak about their own experiences. And I won't paraphrase because they speak about their own lives so well and so powerfully. Mm -hmm. But yesterday, we actually had our graduation ceremony. And it was phenomenal. So to see our kids walking down the aisle of our chapel in their cap and gown. And we had a small class this year. As I said, our enrollment is a little bit down. So it was just a smaller group. But because of that, the teachers and the staff were able to devote so much time to speaking about the achievements of these kids. And they spoke very honestly about them, that she struggled early on in the semester and really turned it around and struggled in science, but then decided she wanted a career in nursing. And that really opened up her eyes to the connection. It really gave a lot of light and a lot of insight into the futures that lie ahead 
for these kids. And they were so excited. They were literally dancing down the (laughs) aisle with their diplomas at the end. We were trying to get them. We're like, no, hold still for your picture. (laughs) And it was, it was truly, it was really wonderful. And I think that was, it was really a powerful moment for us. As a lot of the staff came, we filled the chapel, a lot of their yeah. friends and family came, but just kids who, as I was ch- you know, chatting with other staff there saying, oh, I remember her from two years ago when she came and you're going, gosh, this kid's been here for two years yeah, yeah. or more. Mm-hmm. And here she is graduating and going to college. Every child that I say child, they're all 18 now graduating, but everyone who graduated is going off to either a community college or a four-year school. Great. So they have, I think, really bright futures ahead of them. And it was just, it was a really wonderful afternoon celebrating their achievements and their futures. That's great. I love to hear that. Let's talk a little bit about the foster care program that you guys do. My friends at FCC would not be happy if we didn't touch on that a little bit, but please talk about that and how that's intermingled with your other programs, please. Yes. Many of our children in our residential programs are waiting to be placed with a foster family. That is one of our greatest needs at this moment, if not our greatest need, is for loving, caring foster families. If you or someone, many listeners, are able to become a foster family, mm-hmm. it is four easy steps that are laid out on our website yep. um, at vistamaria.org. I would encourage you to think about it, learn a little bit more about it, read about the process. You really could change a life by letting one of our children spend time outside of a residential placement and in a community setting. Right. What we are learning, what the research is telling us, and it it may seem a little a little obvious, but it's being, let's say, confirmed by research, <laughs> is that children thrive more in a community setting, in a family setting, sure. than they do in a residential placement. That they heal from their trauma. They do better in school. All of the things go down the list. It all gets better when they are in a loving family setting. So if you have any ability to take in even one child, it really does make a huge difference and can truly change a life in, a, in an incredibly profound way. Mm-hmm. There are more than 13,000 children in the foster care system in the state of Michigan. I know. It blows my mind. Yep. But I would encourage people not to get overwhelmed by that number and just think about the one. Think about that one child whose life you could change. Yeah, yeah. And this is everything from mentoring to fully adoption? Or is it mostly just mentoring and spending, I don't know, a couple of days a month? What's the, I guess, the range of programs that you offer or your you help with? Vista Maria as a whole or our foster care, I guess. The foster care program, we are looking for uh, people to open their homes for a child to live with them full time. Okay. Okay. Until an adoptive family is found or they are able to adopt the child or 
that child is able to be placed back with their biological family. Okay. okay. Got it. Got it. Then I wanted to get into sort of your specialty, the volunteer segment again. And you mentioned to me on the phone this week about the dream project. Can you spend a little bit of time about that, please? Or on that? Yes. Thank you. Um, our dream program is probably the reason a few of our children had that graduation yesterday. <laughs> DREAM stands for Dreams Realized Through Education and Mentoring, and it is our own little on-campus National Honor Society. It's for our kids who have the potential to be really high achieving, but haven't really been exposed to a lot of career paths, don't really know what the options are for college, have never written a resume, have maybe never seen a resume. I, I was joking with Roger when we were saying, when we talk with our kids about success, they often don't really know what the options are for careers in the middle ground. It's either nothing, I'm here at Vista Maria, right. or I'm Beyonce. <laughs> exactly. And we've exactly. got to work out what the options are in the middle. And what are some paths? What are you interested in? And it takes a lot of time and coaching and mentoring to help our kids work through that. And so we bring in speakers and we watch videos and we go through a lot of, we have a set curriculum that we work through with the kids to just expose them to all kinds of education paths, vocational and trade ideas, as well as various career paths and certifications that they may want to pursue so that they can leave Vista Maria prepared to be successful. And in some cases, motivated to be wow. successful wow. because they may not see a future for themselves past high school. Sure. Wow. That's great. No, I think that's a very meaningful and worthwhile project. I want to spend the remaining time we have about a little bit on fundraising and the unique opportunity that you have on the website that we'll highlight again next week when we provide the show notes. But talk a little bit about that, about the Fearless Heart Circle and um, what that's all about. And I'm happy to say that I joined that yesterday. I'm one of your Fearless Heart people. That's kind of fun. Yes. Thank but you, Roger, for being welcome. a fearless heart. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that was the easy part. But tell our listeners what it's all about and how they can participate, please. Yes. So the Fearless Heart Circle is our new recurring monthly donor program. And it is our biggest donation need at this time. So if you are looking for a way to support Vista Maria, this is it. As, as Roger mentioned earlier, our staff of 250 some are here all day, all night, all the time, every day. And offering that kind of total support and care is really, it depends on consistent total funding. And being able to rely on donors who are there every single month is really important. And I, I just can't emphasize that enough, especially knowing that we are able to be there for our kids consistently yep. Yep. relies on knowing that our donors are there for us consistently. Absolutely. And that's why we started this program, knowing that just how important it is to establish this kind of consistent stream of support 
And so it truly is the most important fundraising activity we are engaged in right now. So again, if you are looking for any kind of way to support Vista Maria, this is the one. So you can join by going to vistamaria.org and there will be a little pop-up and you can click on it and it will take you right there. But if you're like me and you have a pop-up blocker, you can go to vistamaria.org slash donate and it's on that page as well. It's not that difficult. Believe me, if I can find it, anyone can. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we want to encourage everyone to uh, do that, to uh, check it out and join and uh, start the recurring uh, monthly payments. That would be great and terrific. So hopefully we can provide a few compassionate people to join the cause, so to speak. But we'll also include the link to the donate monthly sort of connection, if you will, or tab on the show notes next week for everyone to see on the distribution of the podcast. So that'll be available. But I think at this time, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on. It's been terrific getting to know you and getting to know a little bit more about Vista Maria. And uh, I want to continue to, to uh, improve my education about the organization and learn more about it. And happy to do this again in the future if you think it's worthwhile and uh, continue to share the good works that you and your associates are doing and the wonderful work work you're doing with these young ladies that is really the the reason you're uh, doing what you're doing so thank you again and god bless you for what you're doing oh thank you so much for having me on roger i really appreciate the opportunity to talk about our amazing organization Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Third Act Podcast. To find out more about who we are spotlighting, how to get involved, or find show notes on today's episode, go to wearethirdact.com. With my third